0: episode 10 32 year old man comes to the emergency department due to persistent nose bleeding lasting an hour over the past week he has had several episodes of epistaxis that stop after prolonged nose pinching the patient has noticed more fatigue and skin bruising than usual over the past months he had not had any recent nasal trauma or respiratory tract infection and does not use any nasal med- intranasal medications the patient does not use tobacco alcohol and maintains a vegetarian diet temperature is 37.2 degrees celsius that is 99 degree fahrenheit blood pressure is 130 by 80 mm of hg pulse is 96 per minute respiration is 18 per minute physical examination shows dry bread dried blood red blood in the right nostrils with no intranasal lesions no enlarged lymph nodes are present. Lung fields are clear to auscultation. Heart sounds are normal. Abdomen is soft and non-tender with no hepatosplenomegaly. Scattered echymosis are present on the extremities. Laboratory test results are as follows. Hemoglobin is equal to 7.1 gram per deciliter. Platelet is 22,000. Leukocyte is 2,800. Plate PT is twenty seconds, aPTT is forty-four seconds, and plasma fibrinogen level is one forty, which normally, which is less than normal, and lactate dehydrogenase level is four hundred. Okay, so which of the following is associated with the patient conditions? Okay, so now this patient's with fatigue, prolonged bleeding, easy bruising, has pancytopenia, coagulation, coagulopathy is there. Okay, and also elevated lactate dehydrogenase level is there which strongly suggests that this patient is having acute promyelocytic leukemia which is a form of acute myeloid leukemia. Basically, acute myeloid leukemia has 8 forms M1, M2, M3, M4, M5, M6, M7, and M8 and this acute promyelocytic leukemia is M3. Okay, now acute promyelocytic leukemia is a roller proliferation of the myeloproliferative disorders characterized by accumulation of the blastic and immature myeloid cells in the bone marrow and the peripheral blood. The patient often develops fatigues and symptoms related uh, to more than equal to cy- uh, cytopenias. More than equal to one cytopenias will be there, okay, in this case. And uh, including the fatigue and weakness because of anemia, bleeding and bruising because of thrombocytopenia, infections because of granulocytopenia. Examination shows pallor and chymosis, but, but there is no lymphadenopathy or hepatosplenomegaly. It's rare because it's a cell of a myeloid series, not a lymphoid series, okay leukocyte uh, leukocyte count may be elevated it can reach up to more than 1 lakh okay and it can also be normal or it can also be low as in this case the leukocyte count was uh, uh, low actually okay now yeah so leukocyte count was no one unique type of the aml is uh, acute promyelocytic leukemia which is characterized by life threatening coagulopathy due to disseminated intravascular coagulations okay so when you see a aml then you also that is acute promyelocytic leukemia then you also see DIC and that DIC is diagnosed with the help of prolonged PT and prolonged APTT and also hypofibrinogenemia in DIC fibrinogen level reduces okay so uh, in acute promyelocytic leukemia bone marrow biopsy would reveal atypical promyelocytes so if you see on bone marrow biopsy atypical promyelocytes that also signifies this only Next uh, options are the Willebrand disease which is an inherited disorders of factor and deficiencies and is often asymptomatic but may present with mucosal bleeding and easy bruising. I'm really sorry about the background noise because it's raining over here. Yeah, I hope uh, you would uh, avoid this thing. Yeah. So, next thing is the one Willebrand disease, where you see it is an inherited disorder associated with factor A deficiencies and is often asymptomatic. But patient may present with mucocutaneous bleeding and easy bruising. Platelets are usually normal and mildly low or pancytopenia is uncommon. Here in one Willebrand disease, we don't see pancytopenia. The coagulation studies, other than the activated APTT, uh, should be normal. Okay, so here, APTD, other than APTT, everything is normal in the, the one very disease next is vitamin b12 uh, deficiency so we all know the vitamin d12 deficiency and it can cause the pencytopenia but yeah this case is not of the vitamin b12 deficiency malignancies can also cause the bone lesions which may infiltrate the bone marrow and causes the Uh, but uh, most patients with diffuse plastic lesions have bone pain along with the mal- uh, along with that okay so And also coagulopathy is atypical in case of the malignancies. Next is Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's lymphoma may cause the mediastinal mass and pencytopenia and elevated lactate dehydrogenase levels and also B symptoms will be present. Painless lymphadenopathy are usually prominent. Multiple myeloma is associated with monoclonal uh, proteins on the electrophoresis and may sometimes cause the pencytopenia. Okay, so yeah, in multiple myeloma, uh, pencytopenia, sometimes can be there isolated anemia is most common in case of multiple myeloma however disseminated intravascular coagulation will be unusual in multiple myeloma therefore the answer for this question was acute acute myeloid leukemia that too acute promyelocytic leukemia yeah so acute myeloid leukemia background was simply most commonly seen in the adult acute leukemia okay adult acute leukemia is this only acute promyelocytic leukemia and the median age for this 65 years. So if you see a patient of 65 years, you have to note the age is okay. But median age is 65 years. But this case was 32 years. But it's okay. Fine. Manifestations includes fatigue is uncommon. And fatigue is common. I'm really sorry about that. Fatigue is common. Other B symptoms are unusual. Often present with symptoms of cytopenias. For example, anemia, fatigue and weakness, thrombocytopenia, bleeding and bruising; granulocytopenia infections, hepatosplenomegaly and lymphadenopathy are really rare. And disseminated intravascular is very common and that too with the promylocytic leukemia. Laboratory evaluation shows cytopenias that is, leukocyte count may be increased, elevated lactate dehydrogen levels and the peripheral smear shows uh, usual myeloblasts with oil rods. Okay, so you see myeloblasts with oil rod in case of AML. And diagnosis is made with the help of the bone marrow biopsy, usually where you see the hypercellular marrow with the myeloid blast cells. Okay. Moving on to the next question, a 24-year-old woman comes to the office due to a month of the progressive exertional dyspnea. Okay so month of one month progressive exertional dyspnea was there the patient does not have chest pains or palpitation there was no such findings and no crani, uh, no chronic medical history and no, she also does not take any medications regularly her temperature is 98 degree fahrenheit blood pressure is 114 by 68 pulse is 90 and respiration is 12 bmi is 23 and examination shows the mucosal pallor is present and also cervical lymphadenopathy is there cardiopulmonary auscultations reveals a clear lungs field and also there is no murmur Hemoglobin is 9, that is, um, yeah, hemoglobin is 9, mean corpuscular volume is uh, low, that is microcytic anemia, reticulocyte is 0.5, it's normal, platelet is uh, uh, 2,40,000, it's normal, and the leukocyte count is also normal, 7,500, creatinine ratio is also, creatinine is also normal, 0.8, just actually reveal a mediacinal mass, which of the following is most likely cause of this patient's anemia? So what is the reason for this patient anemia either it is immune mediated hemolysis or it is increased inflammatory cytokines or uh, increased iron recycle by the macrophages due to any chronic disease but since she is not having any chronic disease so yeah I don't think uh, this will be the answer. Next is the intratumor hemorrhage or uh, other, last is the thrombotic uh, microangiopathy. So the answer, answer for this question is increase inflammatory cytokines because the microcytic anemias in an, uh, with an inappropriate low reticulocyte count response is primarily seen in 9 deficiency anemia and, and anemia of chronic disease. So if you see a microcytic anemia and also there is a low retic count. okay microcytic anemia is there and also there is low retic count because retic count is increased only with in case of hemolysis but since the retic count is normal so either it is because of iron deficiency anemia or because of any chronic disease in this patient the presence of the mediastinal mass raises a subs- uh, suspicion of malignancy that is hodgkin's lymphoma okay and cervical lymphadenopathy is also there and mediastinal mass is there so you should think about the hodgkin's lymphoma and hodgkin's lymphoma will be a chronic condition, okay um, so, anemia of chronic disease develops due to long-term elevation in the serum inflammatory cytokines, and their uh, this inflammatory cytokines increases. Most uh, most cases co- are triggered by the underlying rheumatologic disease or chronic infection because of obesity or diabetes mellitus or because of the malignancies and in this case the malignancy was the reason the inflammatory cytokines are interleukin 1 interleukin 6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha and also the interferon gamma interferon gamma tumor necrosis factor alpha interleukin 1 interleukin 6 which contribute to the hematologic changes associated with the anemia of chronic disease the primary mediator is the hepcidin and uh, a small peptide produced by the liver in response to the inflama- inflammations or the bacterial liposaccharides. So you have to remember this uh, inflammatory changes are occurring because of the hepcidin which is a small peptide which is produced by the liver itself and it responds to the inflammations and also the bacterial lipopolysaccharides. These are In this case we are talking about the gram negative because there is the lipopolysaccharide layer. Okay. Hebsidine binds to and destroy the iron channels so it binds to the iron channels that is the ferroportin and on the enterocytes and the reticular endothelial cells also there is iron channels. and binds to them which leads to the reduced iron absorption from the gut and also reduce iron uh, release from the endothelial system. So, whole of the iron gets inside the uh, reticuloendothelial systems and the iron which should be absorbed from the GIT is not absorbed just because hepcidin is blocking the ferroportin channels on the enterocytes of the intestinal tracts and also the endothelial macrophages. And this dramatically reduces the iron availability for the generation of the new erythrocyte which can cause the slightly microcytic anemia with a low reticulocyte response. Okay. So this was the case. An immune mediated hemolysis is marked by rapid onset of the normocytic anemia with high reticulocyte response. Yeah, hemolysis was there, so there would be a high reticulocyte response, but this was not there in this case. So we will leave this option. Next is the macrophage in the reticulocyte system process senescence erythrocytes and provide approximately 95% of the iron for the erythrocytosis. Okay, and in anemia of chronic disease is marked by reduced erythrocytes recycling due to their destructions of the iron channels. Yeah, so the next uh, the another one option was increase iron recycling by macrophage but if iron de- recycling was macrophage was increased then iron would be released more in the blood okay uh, because macrophages are eating the abnormal rbcs and then releasing the iron in the blood but since there is a defect in the iron channel so macrophage is not having the iron itself so to release this uh, iron okay i hope you're getting it it's a little bit confusing but it's easy if you uh, concentrate and listen okay next is the intratumor hemorrhage it is really uncommon and if it was there then it will be marked with acute pain and also reticulocytosis will be there last one is the patient with a malignancy are at increased risk of the thrombotic microangiopathy which can cause the microangiopathic hemolytic anemia and if there is hemolytic anemia the reticulocyte count will increase which was not present in this case Next question is a 68-year-old man comes to the office due to two weeks of the worsening fatigue and exertional dyspnea. Okay. He was having worsening fatigue and exertional dyspnea since two weeks. 68-year-old man. Okay. Okay. The patient was diagnosed with the early stage of the leukemia a year ago but has not taken any treatment because he had not had any significant symptoms. The vital signs are within the normal limit. Physical examination shows generalized lymphadenopathy and hepatosplenomegaly is also there. Whenever you see a lymphadenopathy and hepatosplenomegaly and the WBC counts are so raised, then you have to think about the CLL or ALL, okay? Because lymphocytes only can penetrate the uh, spleen and the lip spleen, and the liver, and also the lymph nodes. So, there only you will see the, the lymphadenopathies. Okay, now hemoglobin is 7.1, uh, radiculocyte count is six percent, that is, it has increased, and platelet is uh, two lakh ten thousand, and leukocyte is uh, 44,800. Okay, and 80 percent lymphocyte are there. Which of the following is the most likely cause of the patient's anemia? So, what is the cause of the patient anemia? Cytokine mediated iron dysregulation is this the cause? No. Uh, folate consumption by the leukemic cells or immune-mediated hemolysis or uh, leukemic bone marrow infiltrations or suppression of the erythroid precursors. So yes, selective suppression of the erythroid precursors. So the answer for this question will be immune-mediated hemolysis. Why is this happening? So look, this patient has fatigue, exertional dyspnea and low hemoglobin which suggests that the patient is having acute symptomatic anemia. Okay. He is having acute symptomatic anemia because there is low hemoglobin he is having exertional dyspnea and fatigue although the anemia can be triggered by a wide variety of conditions and concurrent clinical data often narrows the differential diagnosis in this case a high reticulocyte count suggests that the there are adequate level of the iron folic acid and vitamin b12 to generate the new erytrocyte, which makes the cyto uh, which makes cytokine mediated iron dysregulation that is anemia of chronic disease and folic acid deficiency that is uh, leukemia folate consumption unlikely so the uh, first two options are not there okay and it also suggests that the bone marrow is responding appropriately to the anemia by increasing the production of erythrocytes which uh, uh, along with the normal platelet count makes the bone marrow infiltration with the leukemic less likely okay so one thought in my brain was it can be that the bone marrow is infiltrated with the leukemic cells but remember when you see that the platelet count are normal and also the reticulocyte count are increasing that means the bone marrow is functioning and there is a little bit space in the bone marrow that is creating more and more cells to overcome the uh crisis so yeah this cannot be the answer the most uh, cases most cases of anemias with a high reticulocyte count are caused by acute bleeding or hemolysis in this case hemolysis is most likely because the patient with chronic lymphocytic leukemia although he was having chronic lymphocytic leukemia often have significant immune dysregulation so there is significant immune dysregulation and chronic lymphocytic leukemia as cells are mature so they form the immunoglobulins and this immunoglobulins are formed against the RBC which destroys the RBCs and ultimately causes the hemolysis yeah so yeah the and the IgG uh, uh, sorry immunoglobulins are IgG types against the erythrocyte membrane so we call them warm agglutinins. okay and red blood cells coated with the IgGs are subsequently uh, identified by the FC receptors on the splenic macrophage. And then the splenic macrophage phagocytizes this and causes the extravascular immune-mediated hemolysis. That is autoimmune hemolytic anemia. The patients typically presents with the sign of acute anemia and RBC uh, lysis. Example, joint is dark urine and elevated in, uh, indirect bilirubin. The diagnosis confirmed with the help of direct uh, antiglobulin test, that is Coombs test which detects the presence of the IgG or complement fragments on the erythrocytes. Okay, so yeah, you should remember this. Next, an autoantibody against the erythroid precursors can lead to pure red cell aplasia, which is marked by anemia, but uh, uh, and there will be paucity of the reticulocyte, not the reticulocytosis in case of an autoantibody against the erythroid precursors. Okay. Moving further, next question is a 45-year-old previously healthy man is brought to the emergency department due to headache and confusion for the two days. He has no focal weakness or sensory symptoms. The patient has no significant past medical history and does not take any medications. So the clinical complaints of the patient is headache and confusion for two days. Okay, and he is not having anything. Okay, and there is no focal neurologic weakness or sensory symptoms. He does not use tobacco, alcohol, or incendiary drug. Temperature is 102 degree Fahrenheit. He is having fever. Blood pressure is 140 by 86. Pulses 96. Respiration is 16. Mild icterus is present. His neck is supple and without rigidity. So, there is no meningitis. And the cardiopulmonary and the abdominal examination is normal. Normal neurologic examination is also normal. There is no focal neurologic deficit. Hemoglobin is 8.4 gram per deciliter. Plated count is 44,000 that is it is reduced and hemoglobin is also reduced and wbc is 5000 so it is also again normal and blood urea nitrogen is 30 that is it is increased creatinine is 2.2 it is again increased calcium is 10 okay it is normal glucose is 98 it is again normal So, a peripheral smear shows many fragments of the RBC that cystocytes are present and the pro time is normal, okay? So, which of the following is most appropriate next step in the management of this patient's conditions? So, what you must give? So, this patient is having headache, confusions and there is no meningitis, no encephalopathy because there is no signs of the brain involvement, okay? And he is having headache and confusions. Why? We don't know that because uh, hemoglobin is 8.4, platelet is... uh, 44,000 only. So, yeah. Um, the options are cryoprecipitate infusions, hemodialysis, MRI of the brain. What one must do to manage the patient's condition? Packed red blood cells infusions, plasma exchange or blood platelet transfusion or uh, urine drug screening or whole blood transfusion. So, what must be given in this patient is? Let's just think. So, answer is the plasma exchange. Okay. Why, Why is this the answer? Because... Thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura is a life-threatening disorder of the microvasculatures characterized by formation of the small vessels thrombi that consume platelet, shear the red blood cells and causes the end organ damage. So this time the neurologic symptoms, the, the headache and the confusions are because of the end organ damage. The end organ is, is which is getting destroyed or damaged is the brain. Okay, and in thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, you see that there is small vessel thrombi. Okay. Classically, TTP is marked with a pentad. So what pentad you see, there will be thrombocytopenia, which was there in this case. There will be microangiopathic hemolytic anemias. We don't know about this, but yeah, it may be. There will be renal insufficiency, so creatinine was increased. There will be neurologic changes such as headache, confusions, coma and stroke. So this was present. And also there will be fever. It, he was having a high fever. TTP is caused by a deficiency of the plasma protein sediments TS13. Due to the formation of an auto-antibody against the ADAMTS-13, okay. In the absence of this ADAMTS-13, which is a protease, the long-chain volume redimirine factors accumulate on the endothelial wall, trapping the platelets and generating the thrombi in the areas of high shearing forces such as arterioles and capillaries, therefore small vessels thrombi, okay. The diagnosis is based largely on the clinical and laboratory evidence and evidence of the Microangiopathic hemolytic anemia on the peripheral blood smear shows cystocytes and red blood cells fragment, which is an important diagnostic finding. Laboratory markers of the coagulations are prothrombin time, which is normal in TTP. Okay. So you see that prothrombin time is normal in TTP. Otherwise, it would happen DIC. But in DIC, the prothrombin time increases. Okay. Now TTP is a life-threatening condition and one must treat the TTP with the help of plasma exchange. That was a really very simple ar- answer for this question. If you identify the disease, you simply have to give the plasma exchange. And uh, the plasma exchange removes the patient's plasma and replaces it with the donors and this re- replenishes Adam's TS13s and removes the autoantibody. Without mn plasma exchange, the mortality rate is approximately 90%. TTP is closely related to the HUS. Both causes microangiopathic hemolytic anemia and thrombocytopenia, but unlike TTP, HUS is typically associated with the E. coli O157H7 strain and is primarily a disorder of the renal system. and Neurologic symptoms and fever is uncommon in case of HUS. So, how would you differentiate between HUS and TTP? So, uh, if there is fever and there is neurologic symptom, then it is P- TTP, not HUS. Okay, and if the patient is having diarrhea before the c- situation, so uh, that means it is HUS, and if PT is increased, that means it is DIC okay yeah so ttp thrombotic thrombocytopenic per paper pathogenesis was simply decreased in the item ts 13 which uh, un-, un leaves the uncleaved Willebrand factor multimer which traps the platelet and activate the platelet acquired antibody or her- it can be acquired that is antibody formed or it can be heritage disorder clinical features i already told you there will be a pentat and uh, the management would be plasma exchange you also give the glucocorticoids and also the rituximab can be given all right so moving further, next is the cryoprecipitate. So yeah, cryoprecipitate contains the clotting factor, fibrinogen, and von Willebrand factors, and it is often used in the patient with DIC. But since this patient was having normal PT, it was not DIC, so we don't have to use the cryoprecipitate. This patient's renal insufficiency is mild, therefore hemodialysis is not required, okay. This patient has headache and confusion, but no focal neurologic deficit, which uh, which, uh, if there was a concern of intracranial bleeding, give the thrombocytopenia, um, given with the thrombocytopenia, one must do the non-contrast CT scan. And MRI of the brain is the expensive, so one must not do that, okay. Next is the red blood cell transfusions are considered for life-threatening bleedings when hemoglobin is less than 7 grams. So you should remember that too. There is nothing that can suggest this patient has severe bleeding. Platelets should not be transfused in the TTP unless there is an invasive procedure and there is significant bleeding. Okay. Next is the urine drug screening is not required because uh, other symptoms are, are immediately diagnosing the TTP itself so we don't have to do anything else next question is a 21 year old man comes to the office due to recent irritability and aggressive behavior he is having irritability and aggressive behavior he is a star college football linebacker and is training for his senior sessions okay for his senior seasons The patient does not use tobacco alcohol, his mother is diabetic, his father is having the basal basal cell cancer, skin cancers and the blood pressure is 132 by 84, pulse is 62, the patient is uh, muscular and well appearing okay so maybe because he's taking steroids there is no lymphadenopathy and in the cervical and the supraclavicular chains so yeah it's fine cardiopulmonary examination is normal he's having mild gynecomastia which signifies that he is taking the steroids abdomen is soft and non-tender liver span is eight spleen is not palpable and hemoglobin hematocrit is 58 and the platelet is 175000 seventy-five thousand. leukocyte is 7800 and aterocyte sedimentation rate is 15 mm per hour which of the following is the best single explanation for this patient presentation so there are various options but i think anabolic steroid use should be the answer so yeah it is the answer anabolic steroid abuse is a common amongst the high performance athletes androgens are anabolic and they increase the muscle mass and also maximum voluntary strength it also maximizes the voluntary strength of the individual they are taken directly uh, in a natural or a synthetic androgens to induce to rise the indirectly estrogen blockers or either he can take it directly using the natural androgens or synthetic androgens or he can use it indirectly like he will use the estrogen blockers also the androgen precursors or goradotrophins which will further increase the androgen levels so yeah there are two methods adverse effects are common in men the androgen abuse causes testicular atrophy and reduced spermatogenesis gynecomastia mood disturbances and aggressive behavior so when you see gynecomastia mood disturbances and aggressive behavior you should think if the um, if whether the person is taking steroids or what or not in women the androgens can cause the acne, hirsutism deepening of the voice and also menstrual irregularities. Laboratory findings includes the erythrocytosis you see erythrocytosis are there and therefore the hematocrit was so increased hepatotoxicity and dyslipidemia can also be there so remember if the lipid profile is given then you see for the dyslipidemia also the mechanism of the erythrocytosis in the androgen abuse remains unclear we don't know and but increase in the hematocrit and hemoglobin are dose dependent how much he is taking that much uh, only the increase will be there the this patient is likely abusing androgens in preparations for his upcoming football season simply yeah the other options are the an autologous blood transmissions involves re- removing the bloods several weeks before a competitive event and then transfusing the blood back into the athlete prior to the event. Are you getting it? So what does in autologous blood transfusion what we do is simply we take the blood of an athlete and then we several weeks before and we uh, simply trans uh, keep it safely then more blood is generated in the athlete and just prior to the event we give the blood back okay the net effect is increased in hematocrit increase in the oxygen carrying capacity and performance however this is typically done Typically does not cause gynecomastia or mood changes. So yeah, this will not be the answers. And self-injection of erythropoietin uh, stimulates the bone marrow to produce the more red blood cells, thereby increasing the hematocrit. But gynecomastia and agressions are uh, atypical in case of erythropoietins also. So this will also not be the answers. Erythropoietin is primarily abused by athlete participating in endurance sports, like who wants to run a long distance, like marathon and all that. Okay. Next is an intensive exercise schedule usually increases muscle mass okay and improves the muscle functions and enhances the exercise capacity erythrocytosis is not typically the sequence of the standard exercise regime remember that and polycythemia vera is a chronic myeloproliferative disorder which causes erythrocytosis but uh, he might have an acuagenic puritis with that bleeding disorder bleeding should be there transient neurologic symptoms can be there and isromyalgia that is burning sinuses of the hands and the feet can also be there but these were not there so yeah that is not polycythemia vera Moving on to the next question, a 66-year-old man comes to the emergency department with acute onset of the severe chest pain and shortness of breath. So he's having chest pain, shortness of breath. She's a 66-year-old man. The pain is in the right upper chest, okay, right upper chest, not on the left side, and is aggravated by deep breathing and coughing. So he might have some difficulty, okay. Next is medical history, significant for hypertension and obstructive sleep apnea. The patient quite the smoking 10 years ago and drinks beer on only weekends. And blood pressure is 110 by 70, pulse is 116 and regular and respiration is 22, BMI is 13. Yeah, that's why he's having obstructive sleep apnea and because of the which yeah, he's also having hypertension. And normal vesicular breath sounds are heard on auscultations on the chest and cardiac examination reveals tachycardia with accentuated S2 sounds. Chest x-ray is unremarkable, ECG shows sinus tachycardia and CT angiogram of the chest reveals an embolus in the right pulmonary artery. Okay, when you do the uh chest x-ray you see there is an embolus in the right pulmonary artery which of the following is most likely the origin of this embolus in this patient so we have to find what can be the origin of this embolus in this patient okay either it is calf either it is femoral vein either it is renal vein or right atrium or upper or upper extremity vein so we have to look for that okay so simply uh, this patient clinical presentations the acute chest pain worsening with the inspiration tachycardia s2 sign increase uh, of uh, suggest of the pulmonary hypertension acute chest pain worsening with inspiration tachycardia and s2 sound suggest the uh, presence of a pulmonary hypertension. With CT angiogram, finding of the thrombus in the right pulmonary artery is diagnostic of the pulmonary embolism. The vein of the lower extremities are more f- most frequent source. Lower extremity, deep venous thrombosis are divided into two categories. We don't know this, but we have to learn this now. Proximal. Proximal, that means the thigh. And the thigh w- includes the iliac, femoral, and popliteal arteries. or We can say veins. Iliac, vein, femoral, and popliteal. These DVTs are the source of more than 90% patients with acute pulmonary embolism, probably due to their large caliber and also proximity to the lungs. Okay, since they are large caliber and they have more proximity to the lungs, so that's why. And distal calf. Although most DVTs occurs in the calf vein. Yeah. So what I was telling was this the calf. Although most DVTs occurs in the calf vein, distal calf DVTs are less likely than the proximal thigh DVTs to embolize to the lung and cause pulmonary embolism. And they are more likely to spontaneously resolve. Okay, they spontaneously resolve. So, yeah remember that if it is a distal calf vein dvt then it spontaneously resolves and if it is a proximal dvt that is femoral iliac or popliteal then it, this is the more most common source of the pulmonary embolisms the thrombi originating from the renal vein are most common in the patient with nephrotic syndrome okay the prevalence of the pulmonary embolism with nephrotic syndrome is 10 to 30% only so this is not the case because he was not having any signs and symptoms of nephrotic syndrome so the thrombi cannot origin in the renal vein next is the thrombi originating in the right atrium are more com more common in the patient with intracardiac devices who is having a pacemaker and are less likely to occur spontaneously okay this patient was not having any previous surgeries that placemaker was placed okay spontaneous upper extremity dvts are generally uncommon so you have to remember that Common risk factors for the upper extremity DVTs can be a probed thrombotic state or an indwelling catheter or anatomic venous obstruction because of cervical rib or bony overgrowth after a clavicle fracture. So this can be the cause of upper extremity DVTs. Yeah. Let's move further. next question is a 43-year-old woman comes to the emergency department with an abdominal pain and dark urine. She's having abdominal pain and dark urine. And physical examination showed right upper quadrant tenderness without guarding and rebound so something might be there with a the liver disorders maybe next is hemoglobin is 8.9 so because of hemolysis there is dark urine. platelets is 134000 it's okay bilirubin is uh, increased 6, 6.3 lactate dehydrogenase is again increased 740 Haptoglobin Hep- is 30 only because of hemolysis uh, further workup includes mri of the abdomen shows the hepatic vein thrombosis okay so this is but syndrome which of the following is most likely diagnosis okay so if there is hepatic uh, vein thrombosis so you have to look for the disease so either it is g6 pd deficiency hereditary spherocytosis proximal uh, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria aplastic anemia or acute intermittent porphyra so yeah let's just think of it so the answer is paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria why is this so the most likely diagnosis in this case is paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria because paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria is an autoimmune hemolytic disorder characterized by intravascular and extravascular hemolysis and hemoglobinuria the disease is due to acquired gene defect that result in the lack of the glycosyl phosphatidyl anchor GP anchor which connects the protein CD55 and CD59 to the cell surface. These proteins normally inhibits the activation of the complement against the red blood cells but the absence of these proteins allows the complement to attack the red cell membranes and cause the hemolysis. On an average patient with uh, manifest in the 44th uh, decade of the life that is 40 years of life and this patient was 43 years only. So you can remember that too. If it's possible for you next is the yeah and hemolysis leads to the hemoglobinuria which was seen in this patient cytopenias result in fatigue and dyspnea because from anemias and hypercoagulable state that is portal vein thrombosis so you simply forget about the hypercoagulable state that therefore you were thinking about the different options uh, so yeah so you remember that paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria can present with hypercoagulable state that is portal vein thrombosis can also be there acute abdominal pain can be due to severe hemolysis and portal vein thrombosis yeah this patient's anemia and low haptoglobin uh, accompanied by elevated bilirubin and lactate dehydrogenase level elevation in the lactate dehydrogenase level are consistent with intravascular hemolysis the key to the diagnosis in this patient's hepatic vein thrombosis in conjunction with these signs of hemolysis the patient with autoimmune hemolytic anemia have a tendency for venous thrombosis thromboembolism but those with paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria particularly increase risk especially in within the intra or cerebral veins so you have to remember venous thromboembolism or intra-abdominal or cerebral vein thrombolism. if it was venous thromboembolism then it can be acute hemolytic anemia, and if it's intra-abdominal or cerebral vein thromboembolism then it can be pnh flow cytometry test is used for the confirmation of the diagnosis by assessing the cd55 and cd59 protein on the red cell protein the red cell surface yeah the other options were acute intermittent porphyra may also present with the abdominal pain and dark brown urine however the pigmented urine due to porphyrins or porphyrin precursors not hemoglobinuria and the hematologic abnormalities such as thromboembolisms are rare in case of acute intermittent porphyra the two features of acute intermittent profile are simply abdominal pain and dark brown urine. Next is the elevated LDH and the bilirubin, accompanied by the low haptoglobin level makes the hemolytic anemia more likely than an aplastic anemia. So this is not a case of aplastic anemia. G6PD deficiency can cause the hemolysis, but commonly occurs in male and not dead to African descent and um, he is generally asymptomatic and there may be trigger present, but there was no trigger in this case. And also venous thromboembolism in G6PD is uh, not seen next is sim sim uh, sorry hereditary spirocytosis is symptomatic would likely have lead to uh symptoms that too before the age of 43 years so yeah it is also unlikely of course so yeah this is it for this lecture i thank you for listening i hope you are understanding what i'm trying to say i know my speed is a little bit higher or it can be lower for some people so you can just adjust it from the speed adjustment thank you